Welcome to Checking In. I'm Carolyn Kilstra, Self Magazine's Editor-in-Chief. Each episode, real people call in with real issues and questions and concerns about health and wellness. And I connect with experts, thought leaders, and others who've been there before to help them work through it and hopefully feel a bit better. Today, our listener, Ikera, wants advice on finding a therapist. She's Black and lives in a mostly white town, and she wants to find someone to talk to who shares her identity. But there just aren't many people to choose from where she lives. Hi, my name is Ikera. I am 24 years old, and I am from Texas, a small town in Texas. So I hadn't really talked about therapy to anybody or heard about therapy for the most part because it's not something that was discussed in my family or at my school or with my peers. There's such a stigma around it in the Black community. It's not something that I thought I'd ever need until I got to college. And so once I went to college and I started struggling a little bit, especially since I went to a PWI, a primarily white institution, I felt pretty isolated. And eventually I decided I I need to do something about this. Some of the things that I wanted to talk about specifically dealt with me being a Black woman. And that's something that's hard to talk about with people who don't understand that experience directly. Zara Barnes, the executive editor here itself, has written a lot about mental health in general and mental health for Black people specifically. So when Ikara wrote to us, I was like, I have to talk to Zara. We work together, but we've never actually interviewed each other before. So this is a new milestone. Zara and I talk basically all day, every day. Not in this context, though. Pretty much constantly slacking, constantly getting on Zooms, but I'm excited to do this, which is a little different for us. Back in June, Zara wrote this incredible article, 44 Mental Health Resources for Black People Trying to Survive in This Country. There are lists of people and organizations to follow, directories, and her own words of encouragement and support. Let's tell the story from the beginning. Like, what was happening that week that made you decide, I have to write this? I mean, it was just the constant flood of honestly traumatizing news about violence against Black people in this country. This was right around the time when the protests about George Floyd's death were really kicking off in earnest. And in my role as a journalist over multiple years, I've had to cover news while also having a lot of feelings about the news, but it has never been this intense for me as it was that week. Zara knew that if she was having a hard time finding mental health resources for herself and her friends, after all her years of reporting on this, she probably wasn't alone. She wanted to do something to help change that and to normalize the conversation. There's still so much stigma when it comes to talking about mental health in our society in general, but there's also a very specific stigma that can come with talking about having a hard time with mental health as a Black person. We've talked about the strong Black woman trope a lot at self. That was a big part of our cover story with Taraji P. Henson, just the idea that Black women are kind of supernaturally strong and we can handle anything and we don't suffer and we never have a hard time. There's, you know, a corresponding trope for Black men. And even though I feel like people have done a lot to break down those barriers culturally, there still is just this pervasive idea that having a mental health 
issue as a Black person is, first of all, not something that happens. And second of all, if you're dealing with it, it means you're abnormal or you're weak or something's wrong with you and you need to hide what you're going through. And I feel really proud when I even look at the headline of this story, 44 Mental Health Resources for Black People Trying to Survive in This Country, because I feel like it sends a couple of messages. It first of all says, if you are just simply trying to survive day to day as a Black person, that's completely valid and that's a worthwhile goal. And then it also says, there are all these mental health resources. So you cannot be the only person going through this. There are not 44 mental health resources just for you. It's for everyone. It's because there are so many of us also dealing with this. In her reporting, Zara focuses a lot on barriers to accessing mental health care, the things that get in the way of people getting the help that they need. And one of those barriers is the stigma, as she says. But there are other major systemic barriers, too. Being able to access mental health services is such a tremendous privilege. I mean, first of all, you have the cost. Even if you have insurance, it absolutely adds up. I've seen a lot of people talk about having to see their therapist once a month instead of once a week because even their copay is simply not affordable for them. And that is a travesty. It, the cost of it is especially the fact that so many therapists don't accept insurance. So that adds an additional barrier. And then even if you have access to all of these resources, it can still be really difficult to find a therapist who's right for you and your particular needs or concerns or health conditions. Like, say, if you want to work with somebody who specializes in anxiety and depression or eating disorders or trauma, you get the idea. We all have different needs. And then on top of all that, there are also a lot of different types of therapists because therapists are only human after all. The point is that it can take work to find the right person, just in general. But if you're Black or if you belong to another marginalized identity group, it might take even more work. I've had white therapists. I've had Black therapists. It's not that the white therapists I've had haven't been great. They've been helpful. But having someone I don't have to explain certain things to, having someone I don't have to wonder if they're going to doubt if I say something's racist, it's just an, an additional level of comfort and relaxation. And particularly right now, just having to see violence against Black people at basically every turn, it's really, really important for us to have safe spaces where we can express all of our feelings about it and not worry that Maybe deep down, the other person doesn't believe Black Lives Matter or thinks we're making a huge deal out of something. Zara says this doesn't mean that if you're Black, only Black therapists will be able to help you. Because certainly some non-Black therapists have been a real lifeline for Black patients dealing with everything from depression to eating disorders. And it also doesn't mean that any Black therapist will be able to help you just because you share certain core facets of your identity. Like, I've also had Black therapists who weren't right for me, but 
when they are the right therapist for you and they do share that, it's just, it creates the space for a lot of growth that I think is hard to achieve otherwise. The key, again, is finding that therapist who is right for you. Which brings us back to Ikera. She's having trouble finding a therapist who she feels comfortable opening up to. Someone who really gets what it means to be a Black woman living in America in 2020. Zara has a few suggestions. Obviously, the pandemic is devastating. I see some silver lining to just the wider availability of teletherapy and telehealth. The fact that even my therapist, who did not previously before the pandemic do teletherapy, does it now. I think that that opens up so much space to find someone who isn't local, but is great in every single other way. Based on your reporting, how does somebody even start the process of finding a therapist? Assuming that they're like, you know what, I actually have time to find one who I really work well with. What do the experts say people should do? So typically the first step is to see if you have insurance, see who is in network for you. And a lot of this depends on if your insurance has an easy-to-navigate online database or if you might need to call the number for member services on the back of your health insurance card and ask them to send you a list. That's often something a lot of people don't realize they'll do, but you can tell them exactly what type of provider you're looking for and they'll send you a list of everyone who's in network. If your insurance is not easy to navigate for some reason, There are great resources online like Psychology Today where you can do a lot of filtering. You know, if you want to talk about anxiety, you can look for people who specialize in that. You can look for people who specialize in LGBTQ plus experiences. It's a really great way to get a little bit more focused in terms of who you're looking for. What happens after you've made the appointment? Like, how do you know if you've found the right therapist? What's so tough about knowing if you've found the right therapist is that oftentimes the right therapist is going to make you feel uncomfortable in specific ways because growing and working through all your stuff can feel really awful. It can feel horrible. But one of the most important things to keep in mind is that No matter what, figuring out if it's going to be a good therapist or not the right therapist for you typically takes a couple of sessions. The first session will usually just be intake. They'll be talking about your mental health history, why you wanted to seek therapy. So you usually don't even really hit the ground running until the second or so session. And even then, experts will tell you to give it at least a few tries if you can. There are, of course, exceptions to this. If somebody talks about your trauma in an insensitive way, you can cut them loose and try again with somebody new. So pay attention to how often you're feeling those negative emotions. If you just feel terrible all the time when talking to this person and after, it could be a sign that maybe they're going too quickly for you and you're processing too much too fast. But if you feel, you know, glimmers of hope and glimmers of excitement, even though you are working through tough stuff and you feel bad sometimes, that's a good sign that you're on the right path. Zara has a few key takeaways for Ikara and anyone else who's looking for a therapist right now. First of all, that it is more than normal to be having a hard time right now. 
It's more than normal to have a hard time in general. That's life. We're all going to deal with mental health issues at some point. But specifically, as a Black person in this country, it is completely okay to not be okay. That is my number one takeaway. My second takeaway is that there's really nothing wrong with needing to talk to someone. A lot of people might feel like, okay, I know I'm having a hard time and it makes sense, but why are my feelings worth talking about with someone? And I want people to understand that mental health is just as important as physical health. You probably wouldn't feel shame about seeing a doctor for a broken leg. And the same should be true for seeing a therapist for your mental health. Third, that there can be a lot of beauty and power in seeing a therapist who has the same really important parts of your identity as you. So if you are in a really crucial spot where you absolutely need to see the first therapist possible, that is completely valid. But if you are able and willing to hold out a little bit and find the person who is, you know, the Black woman therapist who you know is going to understand all of your references about Issa and Molly on Insecure, that's also completely okay. And it can be a really, really special relationship. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Carolyn. This was amazing. In her reporting, Zara has talked to a ton of experts on Black mental health. She's interviewed friends and colleagues and self-readers. And now she's going to continue this conversation with therapist Dr. Jennifer Mullen. They'll take it from here. But first, a quick break. So it's obviously important to find the right therapist for you, whatever that means, because it's different for all of us. And that search can take time, sometimes a lot of time. But what do you do when you feel like the system doesn't serve you or people who look like you? That's exactly why I wanted to talk to Dr. Jennifer Mullen. Dr. Mullen's a psychologist at New Jersey City University's Counseling Center. She sums up her mission through her Instagram handle, Decolonizing Therapy. I feel like part of what decolonizing therapy is, is helping professionals across the world work to decolonize or undo, reformat, realign our mental health professions by working with collective healing to heal the wounds, right, of oppression. Um, and part of that oppression is not just um, violence in our communities or violence towards Black bodies or the horrible internment camps that we have in the South in Texas with undocumented individuals, but part of the wounding for many, many people of color across the world is also the wounds of the past, which is colonization, right? The ways in which our land, our people, our customs have been exploited or taken or used to others' advantages and not our own. In practice, this means recognizing that systems of oppression are intrinsically linked to mental health. And in the United States especially, part of that involves confronting Black grief and trauma. So I have a client of mine that often says she's a brilliant, beautiful um, Black trans woman, and she will frequently say, I have a domestic violence relationship with the United States of America. And that hits me, right? <laughs> when she says that, I, I really feel it, meaning 
I live here and I want to be well here and my ancestors helped build things here and I keep being pushed aside and mistreated and worrying about my life and worrying about my loved one's life and worrying about whether or not I'll be allowed to be who I am in a year. A lot of people of color walk in the world and particularly walk in North America feeling like, is this really home? And do I really belong here? Are there certain types of trauma people talk about in therapy, especially Black women, that it's really easiest to work through or most productive to work through with this lens of decolonization? I can tell you that trauma is psychological, right? It is psychological wounding, but it's also in the body, right? So that's what makes it so confusing and hard to put our fingers on, is that trauma is the result of an overwhelming amount of stress that exceeds a normal everyday person's ability to cope. And if we don't cope, then we don't have the space to integrate emotions involved with that experience. So what often happens are that the people that I'm working with, almost no one comes in saying, hey, I'd like you to help with my trauma. Maybe now because we're bringing more awareness, right? (laughs) But generally in the last few years, very few people come in saying, I need help with my trauma history. What we more hear is, I'm not sleeping anymore. I'm constantly feeling wired. I'm tired, but I'm hyperactive at the same time. So we know the pain and grief many Black people feel is often related to racism, but it can still be really hard to fully see the impacts of that. This combination can lead to a lot of anger, frustration, and fear. We're familiar with having to watch what we say and how we say it and to whom and what do we ask for. Like that hypervigilance is always there. But in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of trigger warning, um, you know, hearing George Floyd scream for his mother and the eight and a half minutes, you know, it just, it was inhumane. Dr. Mullen really understands her patient's pain and anger. She tries to help people work through those emotions. Can you punch a pillow safely? Can you scream into a pillow safely? Um, Do you live by woods? Um, Do you have a kickboxing bag somewhere? Do you, you know, what are ways that we can release some of this energy? Can you cry? When is the last time you've cried? Her goal with therapy is to show people a different lens they can use to understand their lives and also to see the bigger systems at play this may not be my fault, right? It might not be my fault that I'm working three jobs and still not making the living wage. It may not be my fault that I'm experiencing deep mental health issues at this time, and yet I'm feeling um, like the services I'm receiving aren't quite getting it or helping me. Dr. Mullen loves her profession. She believes in therapy, but she knows it can do better. We mentioned before, there are lots of different approaches to therapy, different ways to practice it. For Dr. Mullen, part of decolonizing it or changing the way it's practiced involves being able to bring her full self to her job. As a student, that wasn't possible. I actually had a professor tell me, you're so intelligent, you write so well, but every so often, this quote-unquote boys in the hood comes out of you. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. Um, And I shut down. I felt small and I felt I got the message, who you really are is a problem, so you need to hide it. 
I know for a fact that I'm not the only psychotherapist to ever feel that. I know for a fact that our field pushes um, minimal sharing and minimal being who you are in the room and do not talk about yourself. Do not share things about yourself. Do not talk about your political orientation. Like I'm not going in there saying, hey, let me tell you what happened to me last week. Oh, I got into this fight with my partner. <laughs> you know, like That's inappropriate, right? But once I have rapport, it should be said that it is appropriate for the person to know, yeah, like I've been in my own healing work too. I've done this as well. And yeah, I, I hear where you're at. And, and when appropriate, it should be okay to share some of these things. So there's this really common belief in the mental health field that it's important for therapists to share as little as possible about themselves, especially at first. The goal is to be sort of a blank slate so that patients can more openly share conflicted feelings with their therapists. Some experts argue the more a patient knows about their therapist, the harder that may be to do. That being said, self-disclosure, or when therapists reveal details about themselves to their patients, can be a really powerful therapeutic tool when used correctly. For starters, it can help people feel less alone. While the general consensus in the mental health field is to share less, Dr. Mullen wants to loosen those expectations, to rethink how much therapists should share, and when, and how, and basically what this can look like in practice. Our field does a lot of beautiful things, but also I think it's time for an upgrade and a reboot and to do things a little bit differently. Because when you think about it, all of these things, identity, racism, politics, are deeply personal. Dr. Mullen helps people undo some of the ways we've been conditioned to see ourselves, our bodies, our relationships. And bringing her full self to that conversation is one tool she uses to help people. She also says, though, that this type of therapy might not be for everyone. Maybe you really want a therapist who's not going to share a single personal detail about their lives. And that's completely fine. Remember, it is totally okay to interview your therapist when you first meet them. Be explicit about what you need. Sometimes that looks like someone speaking your language in, in terms of class and understanding what that means when you've grown up in the inner city. Sometimes that looks like someone also being South Asian. Sometimes that might look like someone else that has a similar skin tone and can identify and talk about colorism within the black and brown communities. Um, and sometimes someone like you, quote unquote, air quotes here, <laughs> um, that might also mean someone that can relate or have extensive training in parenting or being a mother or um, a father. And I just want to quickly give you an example. Um, a client, of course, nameless, uh, that I no longer see, that she came in and she asked our front desk, I cannot be paired, and she was very clear, I cannot be paired with an air sign or a water sign that's not a cancer. That's amazing. <laughs> right? And she's a really great astrologer. And she goes, listen, in the future, I might be willing to work with those signs. But right now, I don't have the capacity to work with those signs. I just need to take care of myself and be understood and not have to over-explain what a Sagittarius goes through. And I looked at her and I said, we are going to get along so well. You deserve to ask for what you need. And you deserve to find a therapist that you can relate to, you know, not just settle, quote unquote, for a therapist, the same way we wouldn't settle for just 
someone you're dating or the same way you wouldn't settle just for anything that someone gives you to eat, I really implore you to do due diligence and make sure you realize that you're interviewing your therapist right? And that you can ask for that 15, 10 minutes, or even a first session, even if you do need to pay a little bit of money for it, in order to make sure that that person works for you. Dr. Mullen has seen this work in some really amazing ways. She has so many stories of people finding relief after finding a therapist who's the right fit for them. One woman she was consulting with is also a therapist, but she wasn't completely satisfied with the person she was seeing. Dr. Mullen asked her to think about What's working with this therapist and what isn't? She's a Black woman in her late 20s. And she said, you know, my therapist is cool. She says things she should be saying. She has me think. She helps regulate me. And I know I should be happy. I know that that should be good enough. And then I said, but and? And she said, yeah. And this person... um, is white identified. And she's like, and I've only had white therapists and not that white therapists aren't good or great, but I'm feeling like disconnected. So they made a plan. The woman consulting with Dr. Mullen created a list of potential therapists and interviewed each of them. She realized that being able to have a conversation and ask the therapist, what is your understanding of race? You know, do you think that race plays a role in therapy and in how I engage in this world? Can you tell me a little bit about um, if you've had any trainings related to race, gender, or any of these things? Um, And then one of her last questions was, um, what are your thoughts around trauma and historical and intergenerational trauma? And she said, even though there were five Black therapists, only two of them were able to talk about it. Okay, just for some context, historical and intergenerational trauma is the idea that if, say, your ancestors experienced trauma related to slavery, that trauma can impact your mental and physical well-being even today. It can persist throughout generations. So I asked Dr. Mullen if she has any advice for Black people who really want to talk about mental health with our family members, even if our family members aren't always open to that conversation. She told me a story about a woman she was working with who had just left an abusive relationship. She moved home to live with her dad and her dad's partner in the middle of a pandemic. This young woman wanted to talk to her father about the very violent relationship he was in with the current woman living in their house. She realized she was seeing parallels between her life and her dad's relationship. So naturally, she wanted to have a conversation with him about it but her father was what we would call, quote-unquote, old school. This, this mumbo-jumbo psychology stuff is just stuff that you knew young heads do. This is not real. Like, <laughs> you know, um, and she would frequently tell me, like, what am I supposed to do? I don't want to just, like, leave my father. I can't leave the house right now. I don't have the money to do so. Part of what we would talk about, like, what would feel safe for your father? If your father was a 14-year-old boy, what would work? She goes, maybe a movie. Boom. She called it movie therapy. And amazingly, he actually started opening up to her after they watched something together. And sometimes he like grumbled and wouldn't do it. And we had to make space for that. And sometimes they watched the movie and he would get up and leave after. But other times they would watch a movie together and have a deep conversation over breakfast the next day. 
And nine times out of 10, her father would begin to say, you know, when I was a kid, you know, my dad did this, this, and this to me. So I learned never to talk about that. And then this would start to open up and she would say, hey, do you believe that trauma can get passed down? And he would say, oh, I definitely do. My father, I'm like my father. We have to meet people where they are and we can't overforce it. Um, And we put a website and a therapist's name in many of our family members' hands, they're going to get offended. (laughs) Or they're going to say, I don't have time and money for this. But what we can do is you know, watch a short video together. We can speak about our experience. We can say, hey, I'm reading a book on history or for class. I have to ask questions about my family history. Are you willing to talk about this? You know, we can slowly begin to educate, but force feeding things down family members' mouths, in my humble opinion, never really works. So creative. (laughs) Movie therapy. (laughs) We got to be sneaky. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Dr. Mullen. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You can follow Dr. Mullen on Instagram at Decolonizing Therapy. We'll link to her Instagram and also to my article with a list of resources in our show notes. And because so many of us are doing teletherapy right now, we've also added a list of tips for how to make your virtual space safe and comforting. I hope this was helpful to you, Ikara and to everyone else in the audience who's having a hard time surviving as a Black person in America. You deserve the care you're looking for. Thanks so much for checking in. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to rate and leave us a review and subscribe to the podcast. It helps new listeners find the show. You can find additional information and episode references in the show notes. Follow Self on Instagram at Self Magazine. Follow me, I'm at Carolyn Kilstra. And follow Zara at Zara Barnes. On our audio team, supervising producer is Odelia Rubin. Lead producer is Haley Fager. Executive producer is Shara Morris. Producer is Phoebe Underman. Associate producers are Andrea Batanzos and Kate Mishkin. And sound engineer is Scott Somerville. This episode was edited by Catherine St. Louis. On the self team, the editorial lead is Sarah Yalowitz. Special projects director is Amy Isinger. Researchers are Amy Martirana Winderall and Colleen de Belfont. And production manager is Nico Steele. The theme music is by Biscuit and Butter, courtesy of Blaze Unlimited LLC. Special thanks to Julie Shen and Neon Hum Media. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.